Hey, everybody. Uh, glad that we can be together this way. You know, I always say it's not ideal, but man, it sure is uh, better than not. It's, I think this is going to be a really valuable time that we spend together. I wish, you know, when you talk about relational theology, it feels like we should all be together and discussing things together and that kind of thing. Um, but I hope that you'll feel connected. During the talk, if you have any uh, questions, you can post those. There'll be a, a time for Q&A um, at the end. So keep that in mind. Uh, I just really care about what we're going to be talking about for these four times. It feels like um, this is at the center of our life. It's at the center of our Christianity, if you call yourself a Christian. And uh, it really uh, kind of defines who we are. You know, I was thinking that nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, wow, I really hope that I'll have bad relationships. <laughs> I really hope that I won't get along with people and I uh, want to stay distant from the church and uh, have arguments with my spouse and uh, difficulties with my children and friends. Like, nobody, everybody wants to have great relationships. But uh, there's probably nothing more difficult than having healthy relationships. And so it's really important for us to take the time to say, what do healthy relationships look like? What does God want to do in my heart in order to uh, have me experience those kinds of relationships? And so uh, what we want to do in this first time is actually spend a good majority of the time kind of laying the foundation for the coming weeks. And then we'll spend the end of this time talking about spiritual family in particular. But uh, this first session is a little bit more... Um, I don't know, philosophical, but if you can get this, I really think it's going to change the way that you understand yourself and how you engage in the relationships around you. I just think this is foundational stuff. It's built on um, what the Bible teaches is Trinitarian theology, uh, but what we're going to do is unpack what that means, and uh, I, I think it's going to be really helpful for you. So I think that what you have, you've all been sent a link for some notes. So um, I don't know how that was sent to you. I'm sure it was, it was emailed to you, or perhaps there's a link in the, um, in the chat. Does anybody know that? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a link in the chat. Um, if you just click on that and download that, you can follow along with tonight's talk. Good, and then how should people answer, ask questions? Perfect. All right. So let's uh, let's we're going to ask kind of big cosmic questions, and don't worry, it's going to get practical really quickly. But um, it just helps to to frame what's going on, so that we don't think that this is just kind of one of many opinions, and it's just a something that a few people thought up. Uh, this is really rooted in the Bible, and it's actually rooted in the character and nature of God. So. We want to begin by asking the question, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Um, one of the most foundational truths of the Bible is that we were made in the image of God. We weren't, we're not just the, the, the product of genetic mutations. We are actually, there's actually been a designer who made us for something. And this is a, this is a huge philosophical point. Because if we don't have a creator, then we really don't have a purpose. 
Um, to have a purpose requires having a creator. And so God created us with a purpose. And one of the ways to describe what that purpose is, is that he made us uh, in his image. So first of all, that's already remarkable that we would be able to reflect the nature of God. I mean, this is just a, a mind-blowing thought. But we want to be able to begin by asking the question, what is God like? Uh, isn't there lots of opinions about this? Well, what, what is God like? In Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, he gives the first description kind of of who he is, and it's as he's describing us, which is also really fascinating. This is what it says in verse 26. It says, God said, let us make man in our image. So what is the image that we're made in? It's in our image. It's a relational image. If you want to summarize what God is, uh, theologians describe it this way, that God is relationship within himself. Uh, God made us to reflect this relational nature. And as you study the Bible, and even study Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 to 28, all of that is describing the uniqueness of humanity um, in terms of us being able to relate to God, uh, to each other, and to the world around us. When it says about everything else that was made, uh, they just had to reproduce after their own kind. But when Adam and Eve were described, they were actually to care for all of creation. So one of the things that's distinct about us is that we don't just care about ourselves. There's a other-centeredness that's in the very uh, genetic makeup of who we are and of what it means to be made in God's image. So you can see in your notes, God created us to reflect his us or our nature, this plurality. How is God's nature relational? Well, it's this word that uh, theologians have come up with to describe what the Bible uh, says, that God is, uh, he's one God in three persons. Now, for the longest time, I thought, well, whatever, I mean, <laughs> fine, I don't really care. But the more I've studied this, the more it's central to most everything else that I think about. Because the most distinctive nature uh, of the Christian God is this idea that he's one God in three persons. What that means is that uh, God alone uh, is able to capture what relationship is. Uh, he is unity in diversity. He's one God in three persons. He is the ultimate expression, uh, ultimate essence of what relationship is. If you want to know what a healthy relationship is, you look at God. And he says, I'm one God. There's perfect unity in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there are also three persons. Now, people have tried to explain that for years. And uh, if you can explain it, actually, you're a heretic because it's, uh, it's impossible to explain. All you can do is believe it. This stands in contrast to every other God. Uh, monotheistic religions that only believe in one God can't teach you about love because there's only one of them. Polytheistic religions can't teach us about God because um, they're always at war with one another. Uh, atheistic religions can't teach us about God because there is no God to relate to. Only the Christian God is relationship within himself. 
Three persons so perfectly woven together, they describe themselves as being one God. And so it is with us, that God has created us for relationship, that we're to be individuals, persons, in communion with God and one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, this is what it says about our relationship with one another uh, in the body of Christ or in the church. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. In order for us to reflect God, we all need to be distinct people that are working together in harmony as as, as one body would. Uh, so sometimes people find it hard to see how diversity is necessary for unity. They, th- there's kind of this idea that there should just be, we should all just be one and kind of lose ourselves in relationship. But what diversity does, what a diversity of people do, do is they turn a, a one into an us. So if there's only kind of one, then there, then there isn't community. There needs to be a diversity. And then when that diversity is in cooperation, now it becomes unified. And so you actually need diversity to experience unity. It's a fascinating thought. Now, the triunity of our life, if, if we're to picture ourselves as reflecting this image of God, Here's what a healthy person would look like. There's a me and a you and God. And all three of those are necessary for us to experience uh, relational, personal health and enjoy communion. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That there's, there's a me, a you, and God. What's interesting, uh, when we look at, at uh, most psychology, secular psychology, is that they take out uh, one, of the, one of the points of the triangle, and it just becomes two. It just becomes a me and a you. Now, imagine riding a bicycle. A bicycle um, is, with two points of contact, is quite unstable. As soon as you have a tricycle, it becomes a much more stable experience. This speaks to something about why our human relationships are so challenging at times. Because if all that we think is going on in our human relationships is just a me and a you, there's an inherent instability, and psychologists have noted this, that there's an inherent instability in that. And so what people typically try to do when they're arguing or something is round in other people in order to bolster their argument and help them feel understood or whatever. But the idea is, is that when God is ignored, our relationships get complicated. Um, we start talking about, you know, personal boundaries where, because I don't want to be absorbed by you, but I do want to relate to you. And so we talk about having personal boundaries and having white space where um, there needs to be a place where I stop and you begin. Uh, it's hard to figure that out, isn't it? But if we're just all mushed together, then there is no real unity. There's just this, you know, blob of relationship. Um, we question about how, how needy, how much should I need another person? Have you ever asked that about your friends? 
what is important, uh, what is considered um, appropriate in terms of how much I should need you. If you've ever been around people who haven't quite figured that out, you know, it's easy to feel smothered by them, isn't it? Or maybe you're the one who's doing the smothering, I don't know. But it's this like, wow, you're needing me a little bit too much and I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm starting to feel absorbed by you. Um, there's also the idea of, of self-sacrifice. It's a huge uh, value in Christianity to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another. But there's even an extreme in that. Um, do I just totally lose myself and, and have no opinion and have no kind of personhood or identity? Is the Christian ideal that I just entirely lose myself in my relationships and am just there for them? Is that what a healthy relationship looks like? Well, for sure, that's not true. It's, it, that would be emphasizing the one God part, but not the three-person part. Um, in terms of expectations of others, what, what's an appropriate amount to expect from your church family, from your friends, from your spouse? Uh, this is not easily figured out, is it? That when I'm lonely or, or confused, um, how much should I expect my church family to be there for me? Quite honestly, I don't know of anybody who feels entirely content with their church family. Tons of disappointments. Part of that is because we're working through the expectations of it. How much should I really expect to get from another person? Uh, how much should I allow myself to be independent? One of the things, again, that we notice in church is that sometimes there's a social pressure that if something's happening at the church, then people almost feel obliged to participate. It's not because they want to, it's because they feel embarrassed if they don't. And so maybe even on a Zoom call, you know, who, who all's there? And, oh, I wonder why so-and-so isn't there. Hmm. And, you, you know, like, am I allowed to be an independent person? Or do I have to always do what everybody else is doing? Have you ever felt that pressure to conform? Maybe even at, at school, that you don't want to ever feel like the outsider. It's even why we wear the clothes that we wear, so we try to fit in, but then we try to be slightly unique. Ah, it's complicated. And finally, um, just in terms of feeling suffocated, have you ever been in a relationship where you just felt kind of it's just too much? They're, they're asking too much of me. Well, all of these problems in a relationship are symptomatic of trying to just have a, a me and a you relationship without factoring in God and then trying to understand how being made in the image of God were to reflect that in the relationship that we have with one another. And so you can see how these are actually, the, the, the issues that we have are very practical. And what we're all trying to figure out is how to have a relationship that's in the image of God. Because in God, they are thoroughly one. It's not like they're a little bit together. They're thoroughly one. They're one God. Not a, not a little bit or, or just in a kind of a, a metaphorical sense. They are, they're described as one God and three distinct persons. It's not just kind of different expressions of the one God. They're actually three distinct persons mm. with their own personality, uh, their own purposes. They're thoroughly distinct. Well, 
it, it, I don't know about you, but it just makes me want to worship God that he figured that out <laughs> because none of us have figured that out. Like, how do I be totally together and still my own person? You know, I've been married for 34 years and Debbie and I are working on that. We're, you know, moving, moving along, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's hard to figure out. So here's the, whether you're into th theology or you're into psychology, this is the gold standard of love. And I'm going to give you a fancy term and it's called differentiated unity. This is something that you can impress all your friends with. I mean, just, uh, if you don't have your notes, I'll put it up here. Uh, whoops, I indifferentiated. That's a, a bad thing. Let's, uh, let's try this again. We have uh, differentiated unity. So differentiated means that there's, uh, we're different people, but it means that in our, our differentness contributes to unity. You see that? So I'm not differentiated because I'm suspicious of the unity. I want to be unique so I have something to contribute to the unity. Because healthy relationship is not intimidated by unity, but the unity is not intimidated by differentiation. Actually, the unity enjoys the differences because now the unity is richer because of the diversity of everyone that's involved. And so the beauty of, uh, of, of who God is and to be made in God's image is to have this beautiful interplay between diversity and unity in a way that actually is a blessing to one another. That I am, I am more who I am because I'm with you. And because I'm different than you, I now have something to contribute to our relationship. Isn't that incredible? This is just, uh, this is just remarkable. And so uh, psychologists have figured out that this is what we're all trying to head towards. <clears throat> and no one has arrived just to make that clear. So looking at your notes, if you have those notes that you downloaded, in God, we live in the tension of differentiated unity. Uh, now, it needs to be said that all of us struggle with both, but we also have an orientation toward one or the other. Uh, some people feel more comfortable pushing toward the, the one God. Other people feel more comfortable being the three persons. But that's why we actually, is another reason why we need each other, is because we'll hold those tensions better together. So, uh, uh, so this, is the, this is what we want, and God has enabled us, because of that triangle, that, that he's the, the top part of that triangle, uh, under him, we're able to move toward that. And the closer we get to God, the closer we'll get to this ideal. But, if we mistrust God, if we don't believe that he's good, if we don't believe that he looks out for us, if we don't have a personal relationship with him that's actually life-giving, that isn't just kind of an abstract knowledge of a, of a force, but we actually have a personal relationship with him, if that's lacking, we don't, we don't trust in his character and his ability, then what happens in our human relationships, the, 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 what's underneath our relationship with God, is that we move toward two unhealthy extremes. We either enmesh 
which is kind of hyperunity, or we disengage, which is hyperdifferentiation. And we move to these extremes. When we disengage, uh, we fear control. So uh, if you sense in your heart that there's times when you've been at church, you, you have some relationships, even you're, you're part of your natural family, and you just feel like you're being suffocated, and you can't think for yourself, and there's so much pressure on you to conform and to, and to be like uh, what everybody else is like, what, what happens is we, uh, we fear control. We fear that we're being controlled by others. And so we have this loss of freedom or a loss of a sense of self. And uh, we go, this, is, this relationship is just too risky for me. I feel if I continue in this relationship, there'll be nothing left of me. And I'll just be absorbed in the relationship and I'll have no sense of freedom. I'll just be a, a robot um, having to conform to the, to the norms, to the standards that someone else has imposed upon me. And I'm really not a unique person at all. I'm not, I'm not expected to be uh, different. I'm only expected to be unified. And so uh, as we feel like we're being controlled and our freedom is being lost, our sense of self is being lost, what we naturally do is we disengage. We, we pull away from the relationship in order to get some sense of sanity and balance again. Um, the other thing that we do is we will enmesh. And we enmesh, which means that we're now going to move toward unity as opposed to differentiation. We enmesh because we fear loneliness. Now, for some of us, the idea of loneliness is a terrifying thought that we, I mean, for some of us, it's like, when can I have a break? <laughs> but for, for others of us, uh, the idea of being lonely is the most terrifying thought that they can imagine. And so uh, in this deep, deep longing to connect, the greatest fear that they have is that there would be a loss of connection. And it's hard um, for someone on that side to believe that God cares about that. And so we're not sure that God cares about me, you know, not being lonely. Well, I'm not sure that he's going to help me be connected to him or to others. And so now I have to push for connection myself. I have to try to make it happen. And what that's called is enmeshment, is where uh, people are no longer differentiated. They're now, this person is fully camping on the unity side. Now, it's true that, that we're actually never that cleanly either enmeshed or disengaged. We actually uh, swing between the two all the time, depending, because we're always living in reaction to the people around us because we're relational beings. And so we're always uh, uh, moving in and out of relationship. If we're starting to feel insecure in a relationship, that we're not very unified or close, then we press more toward enmeshment. And if we're feeling too overwhelmed, then we pull back. And so what's going on all the time in all of our relationships is this dance between disengagement and enmeshment. So we'll put enmeshment over on this side. And then we'll put disengage over on this side. And so what we're doing then is we're constantly 
moving back and forth on this continuum between these two healthy, unhealthy extremes. We, we long for this, but it's so hard, especially if we don't know how to find a relationship with Jesus first. And so we're constantly moving back and forth. And you can feel this in a relationship. You can feel that when you start feeling insecure, you start pushing toward needing them more. It's that Pac-Man, if you remember that old game, you, you start chasing. But when they start chasing you, you go, oh, this is a little overwhelming. And, uh, and I'm, I'm feeling uh, maybe used by them and whatever. And so then we, we start swinging this way back over to, to wanting to get some distance. And so this is what we're doing all the time in our relationships. Watch people have a, uh, a conversation. Well, I mean, with COVID, we aren't spending much time at work. But watch people having a conversation in the lunchroom or, uh, or at the water cooler, as they say. And you, what you'll do is you'll watch somebody make a statement that's differentiated. They'll make, I don't know that I agree with this. Like they'll make a, a unique statement. And then the other person, because they just went in this direction, they made a unique statement. Well, this person is going to say, well, I don't know. This is what we've been thinking. And then you'll watch the person go, yeah, that's true. And then they'll come back this way. Uh, and then the person will feel a little bit better. But if this person then fights even harder, then this person will try to go, well, you should be thinking about other people and not just your own point of view. What about so-and-so? And they're trying to push them back this way. And the harder this person pushes them to think like everybody else, sometimes this person even wants to become more opinionated and more distinct. And so these things are, in our relationships, they're in constant tension with one another. So what we've tried to do, if you take a look at your notes, we've drawn this out in a, in a little bit of a diagram. And I, I hope this is going to be helpful for you. I spent far too many hours trying to think of all those words in there. But uh, let's see if we can unpack this. So take a look at that diagram. What we see in the middle, look at a slightly different color. So what we're all hoping for, that's too thin. Well, this is more appropriate color. Here we go. Oh, that's still too thin, but let's try this. So what we all want is we all want love. Isn't that sweet? And so everybody wants to have a love relationship. And uh, a love relationship is both secure and it's also significant. And what this means is that this love is safe, but we all have meaning and value in this relationship. We're contributing something unique to the relationship, and this relationship exists for something greater than itself. So both uh, having security in a relationship and having meaning uh, just beyond even caring for one another, both of those are, are important qualities of what love is. So this is what we're trying to, uh, this is where we're trying to get. And we keep kind of passing through it <laughs> as we're going toward enmeshment or disengagement. And so here's what enmeshment looks like. Enmeshment looks like the fear of loneliness. So if, uh, think of particular relationships, let them run through your mind. In those relationships, are you afraid that you're going to lose those relationships? Mm. Are you afraid that you're going to be lonely and, and rejected or neglected? Uh, what that's going to cause you to do, 
what that fear is going to cause you to do is to enmesh. And what this looks like is at least two things. Number one is to pre be preoccupied with attachment. You're preoccupied with attachment. You're thinking all the time about how to be connected. It just becomes the thing that consumes your mind. I'm feeling disengaged. I'm, I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling lonely. And so it, it almost becomes an obsession to go, how am I going to attach? How am I going to feel more connected? And what happens on this side is that we also end up, because we're so desperate to connect, but in kind of an unhealthy way, uh, we end up criticizing the givers of love in our life, where they never seem like they're fully meeting all of our needs. Because uh, this almost becomes a bottomless pit of connection. It just never feels like we're getting enough validation, security, joining. It just doesn't feel like enough. And so we keep pushing harder and harder toward enmeshment, thinking that's going to be the answer. So that's what it looks like on this side. What about on the disengaged side? What happens over here is the fear of being controlled. So here, just as terrified as this person is to feel lonely, this person is terrified of kind of a loss of self. That, um, that I'm going to be controlled, manipulated. My uh, sense of, of respect and, and individuality is going to be lost. And so this person is fighting as much for uh, being differentiated as this person is fighting for unity. But it's in an extreme unhealthy kind of way. You see in the notes in that diagram, what this person often is doing is dismissing vulnerability. So this side was preoccupied with attachment. This side is dismissive of it. And so someone on this side goes, you know, I don't really need you. I don't really need this church community. Uh, I can get another job. And, and anytime somebody kind of comes close, they, there's this kind of air where, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'll decide to choose you. But the moment that I have any sense that you're trying to control me, that you have, have expectations of me, uh, I'm out of there. And so we're going to be, be talking next week about, um, about singleness and dating. And so you can see that uh, often, I mean, this is classic, it's not always true, but often it's the, the girl who's saying, you know, who am I to you? Are we unified? And in the moment the girl asks that, it's like, oh boy, there's a lot of pressure here. And uh, I like you as a friend, you know, or whatever the statement's going to be. But what they're doing is they're, they're feeling absorbed. And so now they're reacting in the opposite direction, trying to uh, get some space so as not to suffocate. But neither of these sides are helpful. Uh, and the final thing that we'll say here is that they... Um, there's a strong protection of self on this side. That the greatest, it feels like the greatest sin would be to lose myself. And so lots of energy goes into protecting my personal space and setting up boundaries. And this is my time and then this is time that we'll spend together. And it, it can be, you know, very calculated. But the whole motive is I'm going to protect myself. What's interesting, if you look at the final thing in this diagram, 
is that on the, well, let's do this side, on this side is kind of a survivor mentality. If uh, you've, you've grown up in a home that was, uh, you know, something that you don't want to duplicate, you, you kind of learned to protect yourself and to be disengaged from the chaos in the home. And so, you know, you're just being a survivor. I just, I've just got to look out for myself. Nobody else is going to look out for me. I've got to look out for myself. Who's going to love me more than me? This is how somebody on this side is going to talk. Over on this side, as opposed to being a survivor, over on this side, you'll have more of a martyr that's, that's willing to give everything for the sake of the relationship. And they they're kind of have lost themselves in the hope to be unified. And the more this person is a martyr, the more this person just wants to survive and, 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 and get out. And so then they end up working at opposites with one another instead of coming together in the middle where there would be a secure and significant kind of love. Uh, so what Christ does is he frees us to receive love in a healthy way and give love in a healthy way. So instead of disengaging, we now contribute. And instead of being uh, grasping for love, we simply receive. We receive with gratitude what's being given us. We generously give. And then now these sides are moving toward the center of a healthier kind of love. And that makes us, of course, secure and significant. So uh, this, is just, this is just always going on in relationship. Those are what the unhealthy extremes are. And we're trying to hold the tension in the middle in order to have differentiated unity. So how does this go sideways? Uh, Ecclesiastes, so we're looking at reactivity now in your notes. Ecclesiastes 7.18 says this, It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God, top of that triangle, avoids all extremes. As we fear God and we trust in his goodness and we let ourselves be defined by our relationship with him first, then we're able to live in avoiding these extremes and living in a differentiated unity. Our unbelief in fear, however, produces an equal and opposite reaction in others. If you've ever seen me, I wish uh, if you were in uh, multiply or Keaton Life Ministry School. I've, I've, I've done this. I can't do it here, of course, on Zoom. But what you see me do if you've been in those classes is I come up to somebody. I don't explain what I'm going to do. I ask them to put up their hand and I start to push against their hand. And then uh, invariably, I've had, a, I think once it didn't work, <laughs> but for all the times I've done it, as soon as I start to push, they start to resist. And I'll always ask them, what are you doing? And they say, I'm pushing back. And I'll say, did I ask you to push? And uh, they'll say no, but it's a natural reaction is to be pushed against. And so the harder, now watch this, because this is so helpful for you to understand. The harder you push for unity, the harder those around you will push to disengage. And the more you push for disengagement, the more people start to press for you to be unified. What this means then is that uh, our pushing for, for independence or our pushing for unity actually creates an equal and opposite reaction in others. 
And so it becomes this strange thing where we say, you know, I'm trying to be my own individual, but everybody around me uh, is keeping demanding that I come closer. And I, the more I try to be my own person, the more I feel suffocated by the people around me. Or others just say, the more that I, I try to feel connected and I, I try to belong and bring everybody close, it seems like they always want to push away from me. What's going on here? Well, what if this explains what's going on? Is that the harder we push for a side, we actually end up creating our enemies. We end up creating our opposites. And this is what's so remarkable about being in Jesus, that as we're secure in him, as we're significant in him, then we don't have to live in reactivity, which means that people then aren't pushing against us. Uh, when I think about our Canadian context, when I think about kind of, I don't, if I can be so bold, what it means to, Cana to be Canadian, and I know there's tons of diversity in Canada, tons, but just let me make a statement. Um, I think in Canada, I think we focus on, uh, on this side here. We call it um, tolerance, diversity. In, in, uh, I would say in, in, what, in the Western world, we want to be our own people. And even the reason why we would get married is in order to experience better self-fulfillment. The whole, the whole point, even of relationships, is that I will become self-fulfilled, self-actualized. Well, I was doing a... Um, uh, every week on Friday afternoons, I'm doing a relational theology, actually, course with a church in China and uh, outside of that church. When you have a Zoom call now, everybody can come in, but it's a particular church that's sponsoring it. And, uh, and I was talking to the, the pastor and he says, Greg, uh, in Chinese, there's no word to describe God being uh, three persons. There's no Chinese word for a God being uh, uh, three persons. He says the, the word for person in Chinese, and if, sorry, all, all of you who speak Chinese, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just quoting a guy. But the, um, the word for person is uh, human being. So if I say that I'm my own person, I'm saying my own human being. So then that word doesn't translate into uh, God being able to be not just one God, but three persons. There's actually, he says, there's only one word for it, but it's a very uh, technical word that isn't used in, in, in common uh, communication. And I just thought this was absolutely fascinating because he says in our culture, um, now the, the, the younger generation is changing this, but he says in, in, the, in the typical Chinese culture, uh, the tendency is toward unity, not differentiation. It's, and it's that shame culture where you need to belong, and you need to be connected, you need to sacrifice for the greater good. And so even in the language to describe God, there's no way to, to accurately describe God as being differentiated as well as unified. Isn't that interesting? Wow. And so if you have a God that can't be three persons in one God, then you have a people who are reflecting that image 
in that image is not differentiated. There's just a, a pressure to be unified. And I think the opposite is true then in our Canadian or Western culture where there's a pressure to be disengaged. I find this uh, absolutely remarkable when I, uh, the difference, when I even just go to the States, where I find in the States there's more of a tolerance of unity, where uh, people are proud to identify themselves with a sports team or the college that they went to or the church that they belong to. And they go, yeah, you know, that's my pastor. That's my church. I love my church. <laughs> and, and in Canada, it's, uh, you know, I tolerate Fred, Pastor Fred, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, he's the best I could find. I'm, I'm, I'm still looking, you know, but it's, it's kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm working with what we've got. But, but there's not this, while well, I've given myself to this community. You just don't see that in Canadian culture very much. Um, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that even inside of culture, we see these tendencies to go in one of these opposite directions. And this is what I, one of the one of the things that I just love with my uh, my friend in China is he's constantly revealing to me how beautiful this is. Yeah. And my Canadian mind needs to hear this over and over and over again because I don't hear it in my culture. And so I need him to help me understand this. And then he needs to figure out a Chinese word to say differentiated. <laughs> and then he needs, and we're working that through together. And I just enjoy it so much. So fear, and so let's say then that we're not finding this in Christ and so we're able to avoid these extremes. Fear and reactivity, where I'm so longing for connection I'm so longing to be an individual. What our fear of loneliness or our fear of being controlled does is it actually leads us to sin. In Psalm 37, 8, this is an incredible verse. In Psalm 37, 8, it says, B, it says, do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. The anxiety of wanting to be connected, the anxiety of wanting to be our own person actually leads to sinfulness. This is amazing. So you try to stop being uh, angry or, or lustful or controlling or manipulative. Well, unless we tie it back to the fear, we won't ever really be able to overcome those sins the way that we would like to. We know that it's wrong, but there's this, such a strong pull for connection or such a, such a strong pull for individualism that uh, personhood is the more biblical term that uh, I, that's just so strong in me. I need to make it happen. Um, if I don't believe that I'm loved by you, whoever the you is, the church, spouse, children, friends, co-workers, if I don't believe that I'm loved by you, then I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to steal. I'm even going to use. I'm going to have an addictive personality, constantly grasping for more to get what I want because you're not giving it to me. I've got to grasp for it. This need is so strong in me. It's insatiable and I will do whatever I need to do to get it. I watch again in, in a dating relationship, uh, young boys 
misusing the desire of a woman to be connected and taking advantage of that in a woman doing whatever she needs to do in order to get a boy to love her, quote-unquote, love her. And I, I, the, the whole thing is just messed up. The same as on the other side. Uh, if you don't want to risk loving, if you just say, you know what? If I start moving toward relationship, I'm going to feel swallowed up. And so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to be my own person. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. Yeah, I'll attend church on a Sunday morning whenever that happens again. But don't think I'm going to give my heart away. Or I'll be in a relationship with you. And we might even have sex. But don't ever think that I'm going to give you my heart. And so what we find on this side is just as much sin. That we find a lazy, self-absorbed, defensive, even cruel kind of person who's more than happy to use somebody, but never be vulnerable or give away their heart. Because for them, it's just too risky. And so they go around from relationship to relationship, or from church to church, from friend group to friend group, never really feeling as though they belong. Because they're too afraid to be vulnerable. They're too afraid to be intimate. Because they're so concerned that this might happen, they're running in the opposite direction. And that too is sin. It's actually a sin to not love your neighbor. To not lay down your life, as it says in 1 John. To lay down your life for your brothers. It's a sin. But that sin is rooted in a fear. And that fear is rooted in not having an identity in Jesus that can make us strong enough inside to risk the vulnerability of human relationship. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up and then we'll do a bit of a Q&A and how this ties in to the church family. So in our church, in church rather, our fear of being enmeshed leads to loneliness. So uh, this is introspection time. Uh, do you feel lonely in a church community? Do you feel like you're just kind of on the outside looking in? You feel like people don't really know you? Um, you don't really feel like you belong? You feel like a visitor? Um, what if that feeling of feeling like an outsider and that people don't really notice you, um, nobody really says hi to you, what if, for sure, that could be something about the dysfunction of the church? No, no question at all. Uh, churches can always do better at helping people belong. Always. But, but, what if that sense of loneliness is actually um, the fear of being enmeshed and that you never feel like you really belong? in that it's actually a thing inside of you, not so much a thing inside of the church. That you just never feel, there's just, I, it feels like I, I just never am really understood, never really cared for. And so maybe what's going on there is, is, a, is a grasping for something that, uh, that maybe needs to be first met in Christ, 
so that we can then have a proper expectations of the church. And then our fear of being used. You know, I don't want to be absorbed. I don't, I don't want to just be a mindless robot. What if that fear of being used by the church actually leads to boredom? And what am I here for? I'm just filling a church pew. I'm just sitting in the seat. And yeah, I, I got some friends, but we're not really doing anything. Well, what if the reason why maybe we don't feel like we're really doing anything or contributing anything is that we're so busy protecting ourselves from being used, we never become useful. <laughs> like, uh, congratulations, you are not used. <laughs> but the problem is, you don't love anybody. But the fear of, of being used keeps us disengaged and removed. We've often said in our church that there's two reasons why people either don't join the church or leave the church, and it's because they're afraid that it will be cold or boring. Cold means they'll never get this enough, they'll never feel unified enough. Uh, boring means they'll never feel like they've contributed enough. And these feelings of feeling cold and boring, yes, have to do with how well the church performs, but it also has to do with our own hearts. Are we self-protected? Are we demanding something that humanity, our church community could never give us? And what ends up happening, and all oh, this just breaks my heart, you guys. What ends up happening is others' reactivity confirms our fears. So, uh, I feel, uh, you know, I, I, I want to disengage. I don't want to be taken advantage of. And so what do the people who are more on this side do? They say, come on out. You know, why don't you belong? Why don't you sign up for this program? Why don't you, you know... And they go, ah, like I'm just, I mean, you're, you're overwhelming me. I feel like you're just, you're just pushing and pushing me. Why do you do this? Well, their reaction to this fear almost confirms what we're afraid of. And so we end up setting up this, this horrible scenario where the very thing that I was afraid the church would be something that would try to absorb me, where I'd lose my individuality, actually becomes true. But it becomes true because people are trying to reach out, but you're just interpreting it as being smothered. It just breaks my heart. Or if we look on the other side, that, um, uh, you know, we, we so want to belong and we... We just try to have friends and people are going, oh my, this is called a needy person. <laughs> I just don't want to know. I just don't want, I don't know if I want to get that involved because I think that's going to be a bottomless pit of need. And so they push away, people push away from us. And as they push away, we go harder and won't, why doesn't anybody want to be my friend? And <clears throat> I just, I try to reach out. I, I try to care, but but people just don't seem to be responsive and they, they don't seem to have time for me and I don't get invited to things the way that I wanted to. Well, what if they're picking up in the spirit, as it were, of your fear of being lonely and they're afraid that they're going to be absorbed? And so you can see how this is just breaks my heart. You have a group of people in the church who are just wanting friendships, but in the as we talked about 
in being preoccupied with attachment, in that longing for friendships, it ends up driving people away. Oh, I mean, this is the exact opposite of what we want church to be about. But as we understand ourselves to be in this triangle, where God is our ultimate source of security and significance, then we can engage in church without being so needy or so guarded. And then we're able to enjoy community the way that we've always longed to. So, uh, loving communities then, look in your notes, loving communities champion differentiated unity. And this is what it looks like. Being uh, uh, a loving church community champions security and significance. It champions attachment and freedom. It champions calling people to self-sacrifice and also saying this is a place where you're going to be extravagantly blessed. It champions just accepting people exactly the way they are and being a, being a community of, of tolerance and understanding and that there's expectations. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, do you see now how hard church is? Wow. Um, where we value structure and creativity. Let me know if you figure that one out. Just, uh, I'll take you out for coffee. It's on me. I'd really like to figure out how do you value both of those things at the same time. It's not easy. We value community and mission. Which one do you feel more afraid of? Do you feel more afraid of mission? You know, what are they going to ask of me? And you start to pull in this direction. Oh, I know what's going on. They're just using me for the mission. I get it. Or do you always push for community? Uh, sorry, or do, you, or do you push for mission? And we've got to win more lost people, and we've got we've to reach out, make a difference in this city and in the nations. If you, if you push too hard on that, then people are going to start to feel used. This is the, this is the tension of relationship. Mm-hmm. Safety and growth. One of the things that um, I've noticed in my small group, some of the guys in my small group are on this, and... Uh, Man, I love those guys. I just, I love my D group. It's just uh, so fun. Mm. And I remember there was a couple of us and just really enjoying being together. And then we invited somebody else in. And I remember, you know, them saying, well, we kind of really enjoy it as it is. <laughs> I'm going, trust me, this guy is just great. You'll love him. And they go, okay, okay. And so he's, he's been in the group now a number of months and he's just fantastic and everybody goes wow i can't imagine having this group without him you know because he's just such a quality guy well you know people think that safety and growth are almost at opposites with one another but it's possible to grow and expand and to feel safe at the same time but this is a work of the spirit isn't it without the spirit of god all of these things are opposites but in god they're perfectly unified Because God is one God in three persons. There's no conflict of these things going on in him. And so the closer we come to him, the closer we're able to maintain these tensions, even in our own hearts. Uh, So we must be faith-filled enough, though, to risk every once in a while. If you look at the kind of the rhythm of our church, sometimes we'll, we'll go toward uniqueness. Other times we'll try to press toward uh, doing things together. And we're trying to hold these things in tension. But it means that every once in a while you've got to emphasize a side. Because if you so balance everything out, there's kind of nothing to say. And so you have to, 
one of the things that we joke about is kind of the wrong way to say it, but one of the things that we muse about is that we know that we're doing a good job uh, leading the church when we get complained about being both. <laughs> you know, when, we, when people complain that we're too much about mission and too much about community, it's like, phew, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that that's not, but it's this idea, I mean, it just happened last week where I had somebody saying we're not caring enough about the mission. And in the same week, somebody says, I don't feel like oh, I, I'm, I'm enough a part of this community in the same week. And so this is the, this is the tension. And so we kind of want to be guilty of both because maybe we're closer to being able to hold that tension. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There we see that differentiated unity, that every person in our church is unique, special, needed, valued, and respected. Every single person needs to be different. Because if we're all the same, then we are, none of us are needed. Uh, so every person brings their own unique contribution to the community. But it's always for the common good. Can you be so secure in yourself to be an individual, but you're using that individuality to bless the community? That is the mark of maturity. When somebody can be a person but not be afraid to join. Yeah. Ah, this is the hallmark of a mature person. Yeah. So um, how do we then grow in these healthy relationships? We walk in faith in one hand and empowering grace in the other. So I'll just close with this. How do we walk this out as a community? We do two things. We be very kind and merciful and compassionate to one another and to ourselves. This is hard. And nobody has figured this out. No church has figured this out. For sure, no individual has figured this out. For sure. And so we walk in kindness and humility toward one another. And when we see somebody pushing away from us, or we see somebody trying to grab on too tight, we go, ah, they're working it out just like I am. God bless them. And we have mercy and kindness towards one another. And we push one another, including ourselves, out of our particular bias into a healthier relationship. Yeah. And so this is what we do together with one another. We push ourselves. We go, I'm a little bit toward the disengaged side. I'm going to take a step in. And I, I know that my fears are going to flare up because I know what my flesh wants to do. It wants to pull away. But I'm going I'm I'm to press in closer. And as I press in closer, I notice that people aren't demanding so much for me to come in closer. And I actually feel safer now than I thought I would. And now we're all moving toward looking more and more like God. Mm. Oh, this is so beautiful. So let me ask you then, what does your fears push you towards? Do you push more toward being enmeshed? Or do you feel pushed? Does your fear push you toward being distant and disengaged? Mm. And then the final question is, how do you push back in faith? What is faith going to look like for you to take a step through your fear into trusting God, taking a step closer into relationship, taking a step closer into being your own person in relationship? Mm. What does that look like for you? There's a bunch of discussion questions that maybe um, would be helpful to use if your uh, D group is taking this all together. That might be some helpful things to go through. Uh, you can even ask these questions in your own prayer time and as you, as you think and journal. But I encourage you,
uh, think about these things. And uh, this week, we're focusing more on the church. We're going to unpack what singleness and, and that looks like in coming weeks. I encourage you, please, come to all the weeks, because even if you aren't single or you aren't married, boy, we're just going to understand each other better. And it's going to be valuable no matter where you're at. But uh, this week, understand what's going on in the background of our relationships. And I think you're going to find this very helpful. So, do we have any uh, questions or comments? Yeah, we have three questions. Mm. So, the first one is, um, can you please differentiate fear of being used and someone was fully engaged and then felt used? How does the latter respond when they're feeling that way? Say that again, please. <laughs> uh, the fear of being used when someone um, has felt fully engaged but then felt used. And yeah. So, so, uh, so I just feel used all the time. I just feel used all the time. I, um, uh, but if I'm secure, if I'm secure in my relationship with Jesus, then uh, I don't mind if you use me a little bit. But what makes me decide that I don't want to be used by you so much? is not that I need to disengage because I'm already secure in my relationship with God. What makes me decide to pull back a little bit is because I think it'd be helpful for you if I pulled back a little bit. And this is the mark of maturity. That I'm not living in reactivity. I'm asking what's most loving in this moment. So, uh, it's a privilege for me to be used. I don't want to be useful. I don't want to be useless. I want to be used. <laughs> but, if in my wanting to be used, it's for my own ego, well, that's a problem. But if I want to be used to love you, well, that's great. And if you use me, maybe even too much. Maybe you just need to be loved a lot for a bit. And I'm okay to be used like that. But I need to be prayerful. And there may come a time when I need to have some expectations of what you should do for me. And not be afraid that I'm going to risk the relationship. And I can have some expectations. Or I'm not going to be as available. But it's for love's sake that I'm making these decisions. Not for self-protection's sake. And that makes all the difference. Wow. What was that? Actually, great. Thank you. We have um, two more questions after that. That was super helpful. Uh, the next one, uh, people have asked it a couple different ways. But... Basically, as you talk, I'm sure we can all see around us the ways uh, the people that either disengage or mesh or the ways that we do it ourselves. But when it comes to other, is there a healthy way to respond to others when we notice them being sort of needy or disengaged without being like, oh, you're being this thing? <laughs> so how do you point this out in other people? Is that, is that the, what the question is? I think that is. Or should we? Might also be. <laughs> We can have a new job in the church, just identifying uh, the uh, fears and dysfunction in others. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's not a great job description to have, <laughs> to, be the, to be that guy <laughs> that points out these things. But um, I, think, I think what happens is, you know, you look at somebody who's desperately trying to fit into the church community, and they just are a bottomless pit of need. And it's just cruel to not say something. 
But again, the, the issue is, am I saying it because I'm frustrated with you? Or am I saying it because my heart breaks for you? Or you see somebody who's always on the outside of the church. Are you saying it because you're bugged with them, that you're working so hard in the church, why aren't they working as hard as you are? Or, do you, or does your heart break to say, oh, I wish that they could experience the joy of vulnerability and that vulnerability would no longer... So you can see that these things are about motivation more than whether they're about what to do or not. Um, uh, one of the other things that, that needs to be talked about is... Uh, my. I was just talking to somebody today about this. My, psych, my um, counselor, or mentor who's a psychologist, he, he describes counseling as pat, pat, pow. And I think that's just such a funny thing to say. But he says, in counseling, what you do is you pat, 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 you pat, pat, and then you pow. <laughs> Meaning you're empathetic, empathetic, and then you challenge. And then you go back to being empathetic, and, and then you challenge. And so uh, what you're constantly doing in a relationship is saying, is this a time when I just absorb the dysfunction of the other person? Pat, pat. I know that you didn't. You came by that struggle, that fear, honestly. And I would probably feel the same way if I had your past, all the things that you've had to go through. And so we're just empathetic. But then every once in a while, there needs to be a pow. And there needs to be a, but this is what it's costing you in your relationship with God and others. And so you say it because you love them. You know, I know that I've done a pow well when at the end of the pow, the person says, thank you. Mm. Because this wasn't about me. It wasn't because I was frustrated. It was because uh, I love them so much. I just want them to experience God more and healthy relationship more. And so what I typically need to do is not say something until I know that it will be good news. Yeah. And sometimes that's, and it's taken me years to get to that point. Sometimes it takes me a few seconds. But I wait until my heart is genuinely able to, to have that moment of, of uh, what well, we, we call in our church courageous conversations, that I have that moment that's genuinely for their benefit. Yeah, so this comes a lot like the first answer, but there you go. Last one. Depends how pessimistic I'm feeling right now to answer that question, I guess. <laughs> you know, um, uh, a Canadian church that's trying to build unity always runs the risk of appearing, if not being, enmeshed. Yeah. And I pray that we would always have the humility to keep being reflective on ourselves and never thinking that we've got this nailed. So um, I think it would be easy for the church to just look at people who aren't engaged and go, oh, they're just suspicious Canadians. I find it really helpful to go, what part 
of their suspicion is actually reacting off of me being religious and demanding conformity and that they all fit into the mold and follow the structure. And so as somebody watches me working on my issues, it creates safety for them to work on theirs. But if I'm just pressing for change on their side, then they'll, they'll resist me. Yeah. And so I think we can even do this corporately, not just, not just personally. There's a church. I think that we need to let the community know that this is how we're struggling. These are the questions that we have. This is what we're working through as leaders or as small group leaders. And as we walk in transparency and as we walk in humility, I think people are very generous. And they'll go, yeah, I, I do feel smothered at times, but I'm looking at their hearts and they're just trying to figure this out. And so I think uh, humility and transparency fosters forgiveness and kindness in other people's hearts. Yeah. But when we as a church walk around thinking, oh, I've got this, I've got this figured out, and they're all the rebellious ones, well, I think that's sin. And they're going to react off of us for very good reason, and they should. And so I pray that we as a community will stay um, being very, very reflective and introspective in a sense, if there's a way to do that as a community, constantly monitoring our own health and letting people give us input in that and having ongoing dialogue. That's so helpful. And it, I mean, it even sounds like what we should each be doing ourselves in all of our relationships. And then to mirror that with the church, that's such a helpful way of really seeing how that plays out in your own life. Yeah, I think you brought up a really important point, Tara, that, that I, I mean... I have to do this all the time, and, and uh, Debbie and I joke that we have to bite our tongue whenever we ask the question. But, you know, we ask our spouse, we ask our kids, we ask our friends, uh, what do you see in my life in this regard? And you kind of bite your tongue, you know. But usually when you invite feedback, people are most of the time super kind. Uh, but wow, wouldn't that be beautiful? If instead of waiting for somebody to have to point something out, we would actually, you know, beat them to the punch, uh, beat them to the power, as it were, and say, you know, hey, what are you seeing in me? Wow. And then, you know, you, they can ask you the same. I mean, that would just be so much healthier um, if we could walk in that kind of way. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, can we just keep talking about this? Uh, in your D groups, let, just let's learn to be self-aware and, uh, and learn to become aware of what's motivating us in a moment. And what really helps me is I'll do something, uh, whether it's in my marriage or with my friends, and I watch their reaction. And I go, oh, I was being enmeshed in that moment. I was being religious. Oh, I was being rebellious. I was being disengaged. And I'm watching. I, I'm, I'm, people teach me just by how they respond to what I say, just even in their body language. And if they start to push back, I go, oh, I see. And uh, 
man, what a big, a huge gift we can give to one another to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. What a huge gift. And even to say, uh, I noticed that when I said that, did, was that difficult? Did I, can, can you help me? How did, how did you respond to what I just said? And to begin to have those conversations, wow, I would be just so excited to see us just more and more become healthier and healthier as a community, holding these, these things in tension. So I just really encourage you to, to pray this week and to learn how to be self-aware in moments for God to, to teach you what's really going on uh, and not to be discouraged by that, but to almost treat it as an adventure uh, to becoming a more loving person.